Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, you have your Bibles there. You might also have a bulletin, and your bulletin is an outline if that will be a help to you and uh, will allow you to follow along as we look to the Scripture this morning. Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 19 to 26 today. Philippians 1, verse 19 to 26. This is God's Word. Would you follow along with me as I read? For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what, shall, what I shall choose I wot not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. This is God's word. Would you pray with me and we ask the Lord to help us as we look to the scripture this morning. Gracious Father, so much that we could thank you for today. On a day like today, we thank you for family, we thank you for fathers, we thank you for men who have influenced us and have been fatherly figures, but Lord, we thank you most of all, thank you most of all today that we can open up the scripture, and in the scripture we can find the revelation of you as our Father, we find the revelation of Christ as our Savior, we find the, the encouragement and the influence of men like the Apostle who show us what it means to live well and to be willing to die well. And so, Lord, help us as we dive into this text, open our hearts to receive it gladly, and to be, uh, that the the Spirit might lead us to a necessary application for our Christian walk and our Christian life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Over this series of 20-plus messages, you're going to be reminded of, of several things. You're going to be reminded over and over of two things. At least these two things are going to come up regularly throughout our study of the book of Philippians, and that is this. It is a reminder of Paul's circumstances, that in the middle of his circumstances from Rome, that Paul shows us what a Christ-like or a Christ-centered, like, a Christ-centered life looks like, even in difficult circumstances. The other thing that you're going to find and you're going to hear about because it comes out throughout these scriptures is in this we find what it, 
what Paul's what it looks like to to deeply love the church, what Paul's love for the church looks like, specifically the church here at Philippi. This Philippian church might be to you and I an example of what a mature and maturing church looks like. The Philippian church might be an example to you and I of what a body of believers like ours looks like when it is maturing in its walk with Jesus. The Philippian church is a, a, a picture by, by what Paul writes about, that it's a picture of what it looks like as a church to love things that Jesus loves. And so in so doing, as we study this text and this study this book, we're reminded of what it looks like as a body grows closer and closer to Jesus, what that body begins to look like. At the very least, this church shows us what it looks like to have a worldwide vision. What it looks like to have a global vision for the gospel. This church shows us what it looks like to take our eyes off our our tunnel vision of our life, my issues, my job, my family, my things. And it shows us that this Philippian church had a global vision of people who needed Jesus. It takes, if you will, the mind off the pressing now and it reminds us this week, we saw in the news and so many trying to bring, to bring attention to the, importance, to the importance of what's going on over in countries like Sudan. It was my privilege many years ago to meet a man who there in Sudan was a pastor of a church, a man named Pastor David, who pastored in Sudan. He also started Christian schools for children who didn't have a place to go to school where they were going to get a, 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 a good teaching. And Pastor David there started this church. And recently we've heard news that men like Pastor David have had to flee Sudan for safety. And Christians don't just see news like this and go, oh, well, that's sad. They understand that in countries like Sudan and other places around the world, and I don't mean to limit it to that except that it's in the news right now, it is Christians who say the need there for Jesus is unbelievable. We have a global vision, a global view. That's what happened with the church at Philippi. They loved Paul. They supported Paul as he went around the world preaching the gospel. This mature church began to say, yes, auditorium projects are good, lobby projects are good. What matters most is what are we doing to get the gospel to my neighbor and around the world? This is the only letter in which Paul writes that his perspective is not necessarily trying to fix church problems. To fix church problems. Now, in truth, every church has its problems, because every church has people. And if you're anything like me, you walked in today with your own problems. And I'm also pretty good at making my own problems and adding gasoline to the fire of my problems. But Paul is not writing to correct problems, because hear me very carefully, the importance of a church like Philippi is to remind us that although we all come with problems, we're not creating distractions for the gospel. We live committed to see that go forward. And so although Paul does correct some people that might be in the church, the overall tone of this Philippian letter is one of joy and encouragement. But the theme that, that exudes out of the text today is it's confidence. It's confidence. 
The kind of confidence that Paul exudes here is something that I believe every believer desires to have. I believe that every believer not only desires to have it, but I actually believe this. I believe that God wants you to walk in this kind of confidence. You can see there on the screen. You can see there on your outline. If you've looked at it, the theme for today, the, 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 the title for today is what it looks like to experience Christ-centered confidence. Christ-centered confidence is a confidence that is rooted in Jesus, in Christ, and that confidence brings joy in our life that is beyond our understanding. Peter referred to it as joy unspeakable and full of glory in the middle of difficulty. The theme of joy is going to be a constant throughout these, this series of, because as we experience Jesus, as the, the series title is called, as we experience Christ in our life, that Christ as he's experienced, not only intellectually, but spiritually, corporately in a body, Christ in his spirit produces joy. And so joy is going to be a constant theme because Paul makes it so. But joy being a fruit of the spirit comes when we submit to the Spirit's work, and that can only happen when you and I are confident that Christ's Spirit is working in us for our good. In fact, Paul's confidence has already been on display in the text. the, The whole letter portrays the confidence in Christ from prison. The confidence that is connected here to Jesus doing a work And performing a work for which Jesus has promised to perform. Philippians chapter 1, Paul said it like this. Being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until, until, literally all the way up until the day of Jesus Christ. You can be confident as a believer that everything Jesus is doing in you can be for the good work. And it is about the good work that he is bringing in your life. And he'll continue to perform it all the way until you stand before him. That ought to give us confidence. It also is what fuels the joy. So let me connect it here for you. When I'm confident that Christ is performing a good work in me, when I'm confident that as I experience Jesus, that God is leading me and working in me and changing me and molding me, and he is bringing me to be where God wants me to be in Christ and through the indwelling Holy Spirit, then here's the byproduct of that. When I'm confident in Christ's work, then everything that happens in my life can ultimately be, a, be something that brings about joy. Because if not, then everything is rooted in what happens to me. If I get what I want, if this happens, if, 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 if I have a good Monday, then I'm going to be happy on Monday night. But here's the Christian's perspective. The Christ-centered confidence says, I'm confident that God is working, and that I'm confident that God is bringing all things into my life for that good work, and so therefore I can be joyful even in suffering. That's why Paul could write from prison and go, Rejoice in the Lord always. How, Paul? Because I'm confident that even from prison, God is working. That's where we move beyond this, where we move beyond this disgruntledness 
and this irritation that we constantly have and the frustration that this didn't happen and this didn't fall my way and this didn't happen the way it was supposed to and this didn't happen to my child like it should have and this, is, this was my promotion. This, we move beyond all that as Christians and we say, regardless of where I am, God is at work. And my confidence is not in me or in good things around me. My confidence is in Christ. And so often the question, it's easy for you to say, Pastor, but if you only knew what was going on in my life, how am I supposed to be joyful with everything going on in my life? Because your joy is connected to your confidence that God is working in your life to further the gospel and magnify Christ in me And so therefore, I can be confident and that will be the recipient or the product that brings about my joy. So you have every reason to complain today when your confidence is anchored in yourself. When your confidence is anchored in your equipping and and the training you've received and the experiences that you've gone through. And and by the way, all that has its place and is necessary for for things that God is doing in our life. But the point is that anything that has happened to you or anything that you have received, when you connect it all back to God's purpose in you, then your joy is ultimately in your confidence in Jesus. So... This day in which we live of the extremes, the extremes of boasting and glorying in myself or living totally defeated is not actually a biblical perspective of confidence and joy. It's not. And Paul shows us this. That's why it matters that he wrote this from prison. Because the context is you could, be in the, you could be in the worst place and be joyful when your, confidence, when your confidence is in the fact that God is working in that worst place. Last week we were reminded of Paul's joy. Philippians 1.18, he said, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein do I rejoice. I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Why? Because Christ is preached. And if you remember the context... Paul was saying Christ is preached right now because I'm not out there able to preach Christ. Others have stepped up. Others are preaching. Others are preaching to inflict harm on me. Others are preaching to to bring envy in my life. And Paul says, I'm okay with all that because because I'm in prison, Christ is being preached in a greater way. What is he saying? Because of my difficulty, because of my suffering, because of my, my circumstances being what they are, I can glory that God is working because if I was not there, these people would not be preaching Jesus like they are. And so the Christian's perspective has to get out of themselves. When you find yourself complaining, stop and shift perspective to a different paradigm. What might God be doing in this? And so, let's take a few moments today, and let's look at this confidence. I think this would be rather simple. And so follow with me as we see three things today. The first thing is, we see Paul is confident that Christ will be magnified. He's confident that Christ will be magnified. Now let me flip this around quickly, and let me say this. Our usual problem is that confidence comes for us when we're magnified. Right? 
I feel confident today because somebody said, hey, you look nice. Go, oh, great. That's what I needed. I feel good because I've been magnified. But Paul says, no, 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 no. The Christian's confidence, yes, you can appreciate those things. You can appreciate nice things. But the Christian's confidence is not rooted in you affirming anything about me. My, the, the Christian's confidence is affirming that Christ will be magnified. And so we see this here. Look at verse number 19. For I know that this shall turn my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Notice this next statement. Whether it be by life or by death. Now I'll be honest with you, we're going to kind of talk about death a little bit today. And although we're going to sound like we're glorying, it's, we're not glorifying the idea of death. But we're talking about the Christian's perspective on death. Because Paul says that Christ will be magnified both in how I live in my life and in how I die. That in both of these things, Christ will be magnified. And he says there, he uses words in verse 20 like, In nothing I shall be ashamed, but with that with all boldness. There's no shame. He's not going to be ashamed in this, and he's also going to be bold in this, and he can be confident. It's the confidence pouring out that God, Christ is going to be magnified. But he says there in verse, verse 19, he actually takes a very Job-like statement, Job 13, 16, when Job says, he also shall be my salvation in the middle of his trial. Job says, in the middle of my trial, he shall be my salvation. Paul says, in the middle of my imprisonment, in the middle of this prison, I know that this, this moment, shall turn to my salvation. Now, I just need you to understand, Paul is not saying here that salvation is, that, that he's going to be saved because of his, trouble, his struggles. That's not what he's saying. What Paul is saying is the idea of salvation here is one of final vindication before God. Paul is saying that I know that in this, I will, I, I, at some point, I will stand before God and I will be fully vindicated of my life for him. I'll be fully vindicated. And in this, my confidence in Christ's magnification will be vindicated because, because I have confidence that Christ is going to be magnified. I have confidence that Christ is going to be magnified. The salvation of which Paul speaks is not deliverance. But, but he is literally saying that because of your prayers and the indwelling supply of the Spirit, verse number 19, I know that, that all that I've gone through, God is working for my good. And so the reference here to Job is this, this standing before God, that I will stand before him. And in my final moments of salvation, in that glorification moment, Christ will be magnified. Paul is not saying here, that I'm going to be delivered, I'm going to be vindicated because of what I've done. But he says, because of what I've done to magnify Jesus, Jesus will be magnified, and in this, I will enjoy that moment of vindication of my life. It's confidence in this salvation is that the Spirit has been supplied. And because believers are praying for him, that God is accomplishing his purpose through Paul. Paul believed that the Lord would deliver him. Paul believed that the Lord would deliver him, deliver him and would keep him all the way until he entered eternity in heaven. 
And because of this confidence, Paul was able to live unashamed for Christ and bold for Christ. This is that, Christ conf- that, that, that confident living in a Christ-centered confidence. That as we live, believers, given the supply of the Spirit, believers walking through people and, and embracing prayer and people praying for them, you and I can have confidence that as Christ is lived out in us, that Christ will be magnified. He says in 2 Timothy 4, Paul does to Timothy, he says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. And will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. His confidence was in that. He goes on in verse number 20 of Philippians 1. He goes on to say, according to my earnest expectation and my hope. And my hope. That in nothing I shall be ashamed. This is Paul's expectation. And the biblical idea of hope is not that And by the way, if you looked at the weather this week, you might be discouraged when I say this. It's not, I hope it doesn't rain this week. By the way, if you have any connection with Summer, you could tell her she can come along now. We're ready for her. But the biblical idea of hope is not, I hope it doesn't rain this week, or I hope the Cubs win tonight when they play the Dodgers, although I do hope they win. It is not a hope that I cannot affect. Biblical hope is rooted not in my affecting, but in God's affecting. And so Paul says, I have, I, I have my earnest expectation. I literally expect that in this, and my hope is in this, that I will not be ashamed. Why? Because I've been given the Spirit, and I've been given the prayers of God's people, and because I've been given the Spirit, I've been given the, the prayers of God's people, I believe that God is working, and God will use me, and God will, God will direct me, and I will live a life that is centered on Christ. By the way, if you have, if you're a believer today and the Holy Spirit does reside in you, you do have the ability to live a Christ-centered life. You do. If you have the supply of the Spirit, you have the prayers of God's people, Paul says, that is my confidence. That the Spirit is working, the Spirit is leading, and your prayers are, are, are benefiting me. So his confidence in him magnifying Christ, his confidence in him magnifying Christ is that believers in Philippi and elsewhere are praying for him, that he has the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I need to stop here for just a moment. This ought to be the great source of confidence in, the, in, in this community as well. The confidence that you, you might have today, and, I, and by the way, if you're a regular attender here, there is somebody who prays for you here every week. If this is your church and you're on our list of people, your name is prayed for. Many of you get texts from us throughout the week that in our pastor's meeting or, or one of our pastors is praying for you or your children or one of our deacons has prayed for you. That is a great source of encouragement that someone is praying for you. By the way, on top of that, Christians also recognize that they have the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. They have the enabling power and the the empowering work of the Spirit driving us forward to this life that Paul speaks of. Romans chapter 15 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So Paul's desire is that Christ is magnified. He wants to do so in how he lives and he wants to do so in how he dies. 
He's desperate because that's his desire. He's desperate for more of the Spirit's enabling and for more of the prayers of God's people. Can I, can I speak very candidly to you just for a moment? One of the reasons why it matters that you have a body to be a part of and that you engage in that body, it's vital that you, that you as a believer request the prayers of other believers. It's vital. It's important that somebody in this church is praying for and with you. And by the way, if somebody prays for you, if somebody does pray for you, that is the greatest thing that somebody can ever do for you, Spurgeon said. The greatest thing somebody can do for me after sharing the gospel, Spurgeon said, is to pray for me. And Paul says, my confidence, because I desire to live well for Jesus, and I'm willing to die well for Jesus, I desperately need your prayers, and I need the supply of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's yours as well and mine as well. And so if you're here today, I hope that's your heart. Be quick to ask for prayer. When I was growing up, if I asked somebody for prayer, I felt like I was confessing sin to them. Or I was telling them that I was weak. In the very which Christians find themselves actually to be in a healthy place. Because it's actually important for us to say, I am weak, please pray for me. And I will stand today right here in front of you all and say, I am weak, please pray for me. It is no shame for the believer to ask for prayer. Be quick to ask for prayer. I would also tell you that every day, it's vital that you tap into the supply of the Spirit. That you tap into the supply of the Spirit. You say, how can I do that? Number one, praying in the Spirit, Paul talks about. But number two, you can, you can tap into the Word that's been given by the Spirit. That as you walk in the Spirit, and as you walk throughout life, that in the Word, the Holy Spirit leads, uh, leads and guides you. And the supply of the Spirit is given out. i got to hurry. Number two, Paul is confident in Christ, in his life and his death. Christ in life and in his death. Very famous words. These are like coffee cup kind of words right here. You know what I'm talking about? These are those words that we find often on cute little Christian decals for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But I want to encourage you today to take these words beyond the coffee cup. I want to, take, I want to encourage you to take these words today beyond, beyond the, the cute decal that you see that goes, yeah, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. See, Paul is confident in Christ in his life and death. And so he writes these words. After he says, after he says that he is confident that Christ will be magnified, whether in life or death, Paul goes on to say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So he says, I'm confident that Christ will be magnified in my life or in my death because of your prayers, because of the Holy Spirit. But now I'm confident that Christ will be magnified in life and in death. Why is that possible? How can we be assured of that? Because of these words, for me to live is Christ. And for me to die is gain. Paul explaining this confidence because in the, as he does in the realm of talking about living and dying, and remember, he's updating these Philippian Christians. They're curious. How are you doing, Paul? We heard you're in prison. And he's telling them, hey, guys, I am in prison. I'm in bonds, but I'm okay. But if I don't turn out okay, if I, if I don't come out of this place, for me to die is gain. But if I do come out of this place, for me to live is Christ. 
And so he actually tells you and I what you and I in our life can be living confidently in Christ. Because here's what it means. Living means Christ. Living depends on Christ. And living honors Christ. All of my life, Paul says, for me to live, to live today, to live tomorrow, to live the next day, for me to live back here, it was all Christ. It means my life is about Jesus. My life depends on Jesus. And my life honors Jesus. And he personalizes it there for them. He says, for, for to me. For to me. For me, I just need you to understand, Philippian Christians, for me to live right now, my current situation is that I am, as I am living in prison, in difficulty, in hardship, in weeping, in loneliness, for me to live means Christ. He had resolved that. He had committed to that. That he would live depending on Jesus. That he would live to honor Jesus. This was his heartbeat. In truth, it was the deepest level of all that he had because of his union with Christ. You see, Christ was in Paul, but also we know that Paul was in Christ. And Christ is in God. And so Paul's union with Christ speaks to this. And so does yours, and so does mine. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, in Christ, that's union, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So what does it mean to live as Christ? It means that literally, my life is in Jesus And Jesus is in me. And because those two realities are simultaneously happening, I can live a life depending on Christ. I can live a life for meaning in meaning for Christ. And I can live a life through Christ. And so we have to ask that question. I believe it's in your outline. Fill in the blank there. We left it blank for yourself, for you to fill in. For me, living is blank. And you might be tempted to go, Christ. What is it practically, though? What was it this week? For me, living is blank. Speak honestly into that. How would you complete that? Because here's the deal. There's never anything that gets better by dying. (laughs) Think about it for a moment. Your family doesn't get better by death. Nobody goes, yeah, yeah, we're we're just a better place because that person's gone. And I'm not trying to be silly. Death doesn't make things better except for the Christian. Except for the Christian. So while living, the Christian lives unto Christ. But in death, the Christian gets to live with Christ. And so there's not another thing that you can live for that gets better or is improved by dying. That's the important connection here. All right, stay with me. There's not a thing you live for right now, whatever you would fill that blank with, there's not a thing that you put in that blank that gets better in death. You understand the connection Paul makes? The only reason 
he can live unto Christ and then dying is gain is because what he lives for now gets better even after death. That's what he's saying. And so why, what does that drive at for you and I? It drives at what do you live for today? What do you live for as a person? And I would ask you, whatever you put in that blank, are you, it, does it get better with death? Of course not. We know that. And so here's what it is. Here's how we would do this. If you put the, in the blank, living is money. It's money. Then the only other way to answer that is dying is being broke. So living for money doesn't get better in death. If living is pleasure, dying is having no more pleasure. You see how this works. Living is beauty. Then what's dying? Losing all beauty and rotting. And we can, we, can add, we can put in that blank whatever you want to put in that blank, but you still will not come to the place where you say, if I live for money now, then I'm going to re- be really good when I die. And so the point for the Christian is, you, you have a choice today. You can live for that which matters now and is a billion times greater in eternity when you live for Christ now. That's the, that's the connection Paul's making. That's why it's good for us to move past the coffee cup decal here, okay? And go, this is a cute saying, but no, this is a really profound saying. For me to live today is Christ. And you know what? When I live for Christ now in all eternity, that gets even better. So build your nest egg here, but you don't get to do anything with it in eternity. But you build Christ's kingdom here, and you get to see that flourish in eternity. And so in your short life, what will you live for? What will you live for? And what will you die for? Surely this, isn't, this wasn't the norm in Paul's day. Definitely not the norm in our day. Among the ruins of ancient Carthage, we found this inscription. To laugh, to hunt, to bathe, and to game. That is life. It's the same today. Because we fill that blank with, for me to live is what? Is what? And whatever you fill that blank with, you're asking it to give you meaning now and in eternity. And it can give you no meaning in eternity. Live for Jesus now. He gives meaning now and later. While many are wasting their life, living, pursuing empty treasures, you as a believer can have a Christ-centered vision of your life today. A Christ-centered marriage today. A Christ-centered teenage years today. A Christ-centered work approach today. A Christ-centered view of money and beauty and, and pleasure today. You can have a Christ-centered view of all that because Christ does, is not absent from speaking into that. But if you say that you're living as Christ, then you get to have the privilege today of joining Paul and saying that dying would be a gain because it takes a whole other meaning after death. Paul says, I'll be brief on this, but he says, he goes on in verse 22 to say, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. And he goes on basically to explain that if God leaves him here, that a Christ-centered vision is to live a life of fruitfulness unto Christ. It's a Christ-centered vision. That means I can take money 
if God gives it to me and I can use it for a Christ-centered, fruitful purpose. I can take my marriage that God gave to me and I don't put my wife in the blank for me to live as Mindy. But I can say for me to live as Christ, therefore I can take my marriage and I can make it be what Christ has called it to be. And so now what happens in all of this is I can, I can see the fruit of godly labor coming to fruition. And Paul goes on to say there, he says, man, I feel, I feel like I'm in this tight space. I'm, I'm in a straight betwixt. It's like being a rock in a hard place, he says. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. I, I'm ready. Man, I've been through beatings and shipwreck and all this. For me to live is, I'm ready to go. It would be better for me to be with Jesus, but to abide in the flesh is more needful. It's more needful for you. And this is Paul's passion. Number three. Number three. I want you to see Paul is confident that Christ will continue his work in them. Verse 25, he goes on, he says, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me, by my coming to you again. Now just this is this is number 3. Paul is confident that Christ will continue his work in them. And Paul is joyful. I want you to hear this. This is where the Christ-centered vision of your life begins to begins to flesh out. Paul says this, he says, "I have this confidence that part of my continuing here and staying here because my life is about Christ. Part of my continuance is notice this for your furtherance and your joy of faith." You know why God has you here? You know what a Christ-centered vision of your life looks like? The furtherance of another person, the furtherance of another believer, the spiritual growth and flourishing of another believer, and the joy of their faith increasing. And Paul says, he goes on to say, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. Let Let me apply, okay? Let me apply. Take your life. Everybody in here touches different roles of this world in places of this world in different, different, different realms, if you will. We all touch different workplaces and families and homes, children. If a, what does a Christ-centered confidence look like? What does a Christ-centered vision for my life look like? It looks like this. That in every role of my life, that in everything I have, that in all of the things God has given me, that in that, in verse 20, notice in verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. Do you know why God has me here at 37? Do you know why he put me with Mindy? Do you know why he gave Mindy and I four kids together? My call here is that her joy in Jesus would abound. That her confidence in Christ in her life, verse 26 there, that her rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. And dads, enjoy Father's Day, but the reason you're a dad is because God wants you to help your kids rejoice in Jesus. Enjoy your marriage. But your call to that marriage is that your spouse may rejoice in Jesus. Enjoy your job and career, but your call is that in that place that people would rejoice in Jesus. Paul says, that's why I'm here. That's why for me to live is Christ. Because if I'm here, I'm called to make much of Jesus so people rejoice in him. That's why. You say, well, that's super simple. Yes, it is. But it's also 
for the confident, the Christian who desires to live that Christ-confident life. I find believers are often quick to make decisions without thinking of the effect of those decisions. We're quick to make decisions about our future, about where we're going to go to school, where we're going to work, where we're going to go today, where we're going to eat this afternoon. We make these, these small decisions that have major effect. But hear me, the Christian understands this, who walks in the Spirit, that no decision, no decision ever, small or large, is absent from the call of God to bring rejoicing to people in Jesus. No decision. There's nowhere you can go. There's nothing you can do that gets to say, I'll put that part of that call aside. I'm just going to do this. And so it calls us to prayer. I think in preparation of this, I was reminded of the, the, the prayer of St. Patrick. Yes, that St. Patrick, the Ireland guy. If you've never come across the prayer of St. Patrick that we put in your outline, we gave, I gave it to you because I thought it might be a good model prayer for you to consider praying. I'm going to read it. I want you to think about the, the profundity of these words. St. Patrick, an evangelist to Ireland, said this, As I arise today, may the strength of God pilot me. The power of God uphold me. The wisdom of God guide me. May the eye of God look before me. The ear of God hear me. The word of God speak for me. May the hand of God protect me. The way of God lie before me. The shield of God defend me. The host of God save me. May Christ shield me today. Christ with me. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me, amen. That, my friends, is the prayer that says, I just want people to rejoice in abundance of knowing Jesus. And so, that's what the Christ-centered, confident life looks like. Are you committed to the daily spiritual disciplines that will grow your passion for Christ? Because it's only in that passion for Christ that this comes out. Paul's writing and he's giving a picture to these Christians of the life. They're letting, he's letting them look into his life. And it's a reminder today to you and I of the importance of life-on-life life discipleship. And so I ask you, hear me, don't miss this as we conclude. Who is touching your life and whose life is touching yours in discipling you for Jesus? Who? Paul says, this is my life, guys. See it. You've experienced it. Where are you getting that life on life? Where? If you're not getting it, I assure you of one thing. You're not getting everything God wants you to get. It's essential to your growth. But I believe today, as sure as I'm standing here, that you can live and experience the Christ-centered confidence that will drive your life so that people, so that people may rejoice and be more abundant in Jesus Christ and in through you. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. 
Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.